take our Bibles, if you have them, and let's open them up to Mark chapter 7, these passages that Carthy read, verses 24 to 37. Do you know in the three years that Jesus traversed the land, think about all the people he saw, all the people he touched, all the folks he engaged with, um, there are only two people whom he said to them, you have great faith. Now think about it, the land of Israel, these are, these are the people of faith for, for millennia. And there's only two that he said, you have great faith. Now what's striking in this is that both of them were Gentile. So now we've got something even more shocking, that, that those who had great faith were not even Jewish. The first is Cornelius, you may remember that story, it's Acts chapter 10, you can read it. On your own, and the other is a Gentile Syrophoenician woman, the woman in this very passage. Now, you could not find a more unlikely candidate for the commendation that Jesus gave. Why do I I say that? Well, culturally, um, keep in mind that in these days, the rabbis, those who taught the law, would not teach a woman. So, They don't even teach them the law, right? Much less compliment them on how they engage it. And then the fact that she's a Gentile, Matthew's account in Matthew 15 says she's a Canaanite. And by the way, when you say Canaanite, think enemy of the the nation. And in fact, that was her lineage. But the story itself is, uh, even as you read it, I know there's a moment in here where I think it's one of the most awkward moments that we have with Jesus. It's like, ooh, that felt really strange to me. But it's also a story as we follow through and pay attention to it in which we come to see what what is the nature of great faith, deep faith, genuine faith. Now, by way of context, you know, if you're a guest, we go through these books of the Bible. And so Rob, of course, was covering the first part of chapter 7 last week and even was in chapter uh, six before that. And one of the things that's mind-boggling to me in terms of context is in light of everything the disciples have seen and heard. And, and you know, we talked about the miracles and everything they've experienced with Jesus. Their hearts are still what? Where are their hearts right now? Do you remember the word? Hard. They're hardened. Now, now when I say hard, again, I'm going to go back to what Rob said. Don't think the organ itself that's beating and moving blood through the body, right? When we say heart, it can be that, but in this context, in most contexts in the scripture, has to do with your, the essence of your inner being. Uh, your, your, the immaterial part of you that is your mind, your will, and your, uh, your emotions. It's, it's your thinking and your, your feeling and your choosing part. That's a part of you. And that's the heart, that is hard. Now, last week we saw it's not just hard. Problem with their hearts is their hearts are evil. <laughs> not just hard. Paul will say they're Paul says they're dead. So contrary, and this is where you grab what Rob introduced the message was with last week. Contrary to thousands of years, and in particular how the Jews were practicing their religion. Okay, at this point, this text is a giant wrecking ball. Remember what Rob said? It's demolition day. Boom! Everything first century Jews were practicing. Bam! 
demolished. Y'all, he, he, he puts it in rubble because he said, the problem's not out there. The problem's not what you do or what you avoid. Where's the problem? Where is it? Tell me. The problem's inside. And when you realize the problem's inside, we have a big problem. And that's the point of the wrecking ball. So when we stand, you know, in this uh, rubble of a life that we thought was pleasing to God because of what we do and what we don't do, um, we realize the problems within us. And I, I would say this, we get to a place of helplessness. Don't you think when that ball hit the, hit the religious system, I would suggest the Jews were like, well, then what? Because this is all we got. I want to suggest that helplessness is actually the ground of hopefulness. That you actually come to this place of helplessness, then you can begin to have genuine hope. Why is that? Because when we're helpless, you see this is, you, got, you come to this place, when you get helpless, you realize, oh my now I see it. What I could never do, Jesus has done for me. But only when you're helpless do you see it. Well, the disciples, I want to suggest as we're moving through this section, and actually in these next few weeks, they're not convinced. And so I th what I think Jesus does here next, and Mark records for us, is he says, okay, let me give you two examples where helplessness is actually the ground of hopefulness. He's going to give us two very real people. <laughs> Carthy just read about them and described their situation. We're going to walk through that. We're going to make some application for our own lives as we watch theirs. Okay? Now, I've given this, the, the title to these two sections because there are two sections, the, the 24 to 30 and then 31 to 37. The first section I'm calling the dog barks, the dog barks, 24 to 30. And then the second section I'm going to call the mute speaks, the mute speaks. So outline people, you've got that in your head. Let's start with the dog barks beginning in verse 24. I'm not going to read it all, but I want to grab this a particular section if I may. So I want to note this. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he couldn't escape notice. But after, after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. This is not good, so to speak. And she kept asking him, kept asking him, kept asking him. Read the Matthew section. It's a very interesting that Jesus didn't even answer her for a long time. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, someone needs to give Jesus a snicker bar. He gets a little angry, right, when he's hungry. That's how you feel. You know, you just feel like, really? Did he just call her a dog? Did he just say no? When it goes on, she stands with him and says, Lord, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And Matthew says, your faith is great. What in the world is going on? Well, let's, 
Let's note, first of all, Jesus is not where he was geographically, okay? Let's note that Jesus has moved on. If this is the Sea of Galilee, uh, the, the Galilee region's right here in the northwest area, he's moved on north and west, and now here's the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's over here in Tyre, and he'll go into Sidon as well. So he is in a new area geographically, and wouldn't you know it, he is now out of palace, out of Israel, and he's in Gentile country. Got to keep that in mind. He's now in a Gentile place. Now, one of, the, one of the great challenges of the New Testament church, you all, and you read the book of Acts, you see this, is they had trouble believing that the Gentiles were in. The early church did. They had trouble thinking, I can't believe they're in. Now, why would they have trouble believing they're in? Because they had come to the place where they believed, you know, it's what you do and what you don't do based on the law that makes you clean. And so obviously, do the Gentiles keep the law? I mean, this is very logical, quite frankly. I mean, they're out. They're unclean, okay? And so they're having, they're having trouble with this. And Jesus, by the way, is teaching us, even by the, the places he goes, he's going, no, the, the good news of the kingdom is for all people. Look where I am and watch what's about to happen in this Gentile woman and in the, the, the people that he's gonna touch, go to next, which is also Gentile. We can't forget that when God made his promise to Abraham, you remember when we were in Genesis, that the, the blessing was to be for how many people in the world? Say it out loud. How many people were to receive the blessing through Abraham? All. See, all nations. So, so you got to go, it's always intended for all. And that's what we're seeing here. Jesus is going, you know, this is, this is the, the good news is for Jew and Gentile because everyone's heart is dirty. Therefore, the good news is for all who would believe it. Now, very, very key here. There is an order to which the good news of Jesus and the message of his life, death, and resurrection came. Don't forget that God chose a nation. I mean, he could have chosen any nation, right? Why did he choose Israel? They even say themselves, there's nothing special about us except that God in his sovereign kindness chose them and said the Messiah will come through this nation. So, Picture this nation, I've always kind of described it as the womb through which Messiah would come, the nation of Israel. And so he preserved that for thousands of years, showing the world, this is what it looks like to relate to God. Watch what they do and how they live. And it's like a, it's this long tube coming along, and all of a sudden you get to Jesus shows up. We celebrate Christmas because he's come, and the good news now goes to the world. Now, it's always been for the world, but in redemptive history, there was a there's an order. Are you guys with me on this? That there was, a, there was a timeline and an order by which Jesus came. And Jesus is, the good news is always intended for the world. But Jesus will say this even in the Matthew passage. I came to the Jew first. He offers the kingdom to the Jew first. Paul is going to say it this way in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who would believe to the Jew first. And also to the Gentiles. So there's an order to redemptive history and the movement of salvation. So the Jews thought, okay, priority means exclusive. That's the mistake. Now, in fact, they were very privileged and even are today. But that privilege has led, I think I would, I would say it's led to pride and blinded them. Okay, Lloyd, how does this explain what's happening in the story? Okay, 
Let's take that context and that understanding and look at what Jesus says. Do you know, get, get, just take a guess, what the Jews called the Gentiles? Take a guess. Dogs. <laughs> You're a dog. And, and, and it was derogatory. I mean, this is people that are out, you see. Now, Jesus is going to use, a, there, there are two terms for a dog. One's a mongrel that roams the streets, and one's a household pet. Jesus uses the term for a household pet here. I don't think it removes the sting at all. I think it's, the, it's a fact what they called them, considered them. Jesus uses this, I think, in light of the story that he tells and the statement that he gives. Now, what's happened you know, 2,000 years ago is just not that different from what happens in, in some of your houses, and I know what happens in mine. We have a dog in our house. Her name is Pearl. She's a little cockapoo. She's a small cockapoo and kind of yappy a little bit. She got bit by a big dog early on, and so she's always nervous, you know, and twitchy around people and stuff, so we got to be careful. But we also have a cat. Um, But Pearl, no matter, you know, where she is in the house, if we have dinner together as a family, and quite frankly, we don't do it that much with the age of our kids, but if dinner's made and the table's set, and, and Lisa says, everybody come to, come to dinner. Guess who also comes to dinner besides Lisa and I and our three kids? Guess who comes? Who? Yeah, now does Pearl, do we, set a, do we set a chair for Pearl? No, we don't set a chair for Pearl, but I assure you, Pearl's at dinner. Now, where does Pearl go when she comes to dinner? I'm telling you, and she's been doing it this last week, and I get tickled at it because she'll, she'll go into that table, and then it's just like this. For 30 minutes. And she just, what is she waiting for? You guys say, a crumb. So, so, oh my gosh. So is that what's happening here? Yes. The very same picture. And this is the first miracle of the story, I think. Jesus says the gospels to the Jew first, then the Gentile. Miracle of miracles. She gets what Jesus means and she's not offended. Let's not be offended for her. Okay, be careful. She's not, so let's not, let's not all get up and steam about it because she's not. She simply stands toe-to-toe with Jesus, which no one has done and can do. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. In other words, she says, I get it. I'm a Gentile. It's to the Jew first and, and then to the Gentile. And by this, she's, what is she saying? She's saying, look, I don't have any claim on you. I got nothing to earn this. I, I, I'm a dog. I, I, I'm, I'm, outside. I'm not in relationship with you. I have no privileged standing, but I'm here. I'm here, and I'll take the crumbs as they fall. Now, she says, Lord, do you know this is the only time in the Gospel of Mark where someone addresses Jesus as Kyrios, Lord, only something's going on. Something's happened in this Lady, she accepts the dog designation not as a denigration but as a recognition. She has no right to the food, no claim. She's just bringing her hunger and her need to Jesus. Jesus says, your faith is great. Wow, wow. She has arrived at helpless and she has accepted her helplessness. And she has cast herself on the only one who can do something about it. 
And I think there's actually something more. And I can't be dogmatic on this, but I think contextually it holds some water if I can offer this. Think about where we are in the story and how Mark's arranged it. A few days earlier, Jesus had fed some 10,000 people with seven loaves of what? Or five loaves? Bread. Amazing. And they pick up all those leftovers, right? And then we come to this story, and this woman is talking about getting some crumbs off the table. And then next week, guess what? Uh, Jesus is going to feed, gosh, another 8,000 people, okay? So he's going to feed some more with a few loaves of what? Bread. Yeah, and they're going to gather up all these leftovers again, right? And then after that feeding, you're going to keep reading, and you're going to notice Jesus and the disciples get in the boat again. You know, you've got to be thinking, storm's coming, I don't know. But they get in the boat, and one of them notices... Hey, you guys, we only have one loaf of bread. And, and I don't know, 12 big hungry guys and one loaf, they start getting a little concerned. And then they overhear Jesus talking and Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and hear it. And they went, oh my gosh, leaven, oh my gosh. He, he knows we only have one loaf. They think he's talking about. And then they, they kind of get into this thing like, I thought you were going to, I mean, Spencer, you're supposed to bring the, you're the last one on the boat. You're supposed, I'm not the last one on the boat. You're supposed to take care of the spot. I thought you were getting, the, and they go on and on. Now, what does Jesus think of this? Look in your Bibles at chapter 8, verse 17. And it says, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And he goes on and talks about the leftovers, etc. And they, have you not learned? Now, I, I don't think it's quite frankly just about there's going to always be enough bread for you. I think when he says, don't, don't you get it? At one level, I think, don't you get what the Syrophoenician lady got? Do you not get what she got? And they're going, what did she get? I have no idea what she got. I think that she knows something and believes something and trusts something that the disciples have yet to see, and it's this, that everything Jesus says and does with and about bread is not about the stuff you eat. It's about himself. It's about him. I think she had something on that. Which is why a crumb is all she needs. Because a crumb of Jesus is everything. It's all things. It's going to be John, you know, who's going to say, record Jesus' words when he says, I am the what? I'm the what? I'm the bread of life. And John even goes on to say, eat me, drink my, you know, it's like, whoa, what's he? Trust me, I'm your everything. I'm always enough. Me, Jesus. Not the dough and the yeast in the pantry. There's always going to be enough bread when you understand the bread is me. I think she got that. Now the dog has barked. What do you hear? 
Let's go on and grab the mute speaks. This is kind of a funny story. And Carthy, I love the way you read it because I think that's exactly the tone that the story would have. He goes out from the region of Tyre. He comes to Sidon, the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. They, who's they? I don't know. But they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. They implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside, and then he does all this stuff, all this. And this is all I want you to see. I want everybody's eyes up here because it's, it's, it's a bit strange. But if I, if I acted it out, okay, just in front, if, if I acted it out in front of you, it would, it would look something along these lines, just physically. And then he heard. You guys on this side couldn't see, but when I moved my lips, I went, Ifatha, try and say that without moving your lips, you know. I mean, he moved his lips. And, and what is that about? I mean, think about this. What did Jesus do when he removed the demon from the little girl? How did he do it? Somebody say something. He didn't speak. He didn't speak the demon out. What did he do, according to the text? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't do anything. I mean, it's just, it's gone. Well, there you go. So now Jesus comes along and spits, and we don't know that he touched his tongue with a spit. It's not an actual Greek, but that, they did use spit as an ointment and stuff like that, but touches, sighs, breathes, spit. Why the, why the difference? Could be. I have no idea, you know? Um, <laughs> But we, we can say this, it was different, and, and I think we can say this, Jesus can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, to heal, to do whatever he wants. He's Lord over all creation. And, and just if we sliced it just a little bit, I might say this, it's very interesting to me that in, in a sense, what I did and showed you was a language that only the deaf guy could understand, in a sense. He couldn't hear him say anything. So all the, t- I mean, if someone came to you and touched your ears and touch your tongue, and you're deaf and mute, wouldn't you be going, I think he's getting ready to do something to my tongue and my ears. And I think no one looks to heaven but to God. He's going to call on God. And you see that? It was like he spoke his own personal sign language. And I do think this is applicable, if I may say, that God comes to you, and he comes to me exactly how we need to hear him. And not how someone else would hear him. Not how someone else would get... You know, people... God speaks or something, you go, man, never have some, because he, only, he knows what you need. What does it mean when, when the Bible says Jesus and God is intimately acquainted with all your ways? You know what it means? He knows the deepest part of your heart and soul in a way that your spouse doesn't know. And he will come to you in this way. I had a friend that had, was working through some stuff. Now, this is, don't go crazy on this, but he had just sit in his office and, and he heard a bird sing and this bird sang these notes and he said, Lloyd, there's no way a bird could sing a whole note or something. He said, and I'm just telling you, that was real to him. And I believe it, it I do believe God was speaking in a sense, affirming. I could have heard the bird sing and been bothered by it. But God will come and he will do exactly what you need when you're paying attention, eyes open ears are open. Well, 
let's be careful in this way, if I can say this just as a caveat. When God speaks to you, please understand, don't tell me that he speaks to everyone that way. Let's be careful with our own right relationship with God. Be careful that we don't go, yeah, and this is how it should do for you. He should speak to you. And, you know, let's be really careful with that. Let's just trust that God knows us personally and speaks to us in a very intimate way. Well, the friends who brought this man to Jesus couldn't contain themselves. Uh, the irony, the more Jesus told them to tell no one, the more they told everyone. Again, Carthy, you read it beautifully because I think he got tickled. Stop telling. I can't stop telling. Why could they not shut up? Well, it says they were utterly astonished. Double superlative. You know, you can be astonished, but what if, and say, you know, that's super. But if I said, that's super duper, you know, super duper duper, triple whatever. And that's what they do. They're utterly, utterly means beyond measure. And then get this, astonished. It's this idea to become astounded, okay? To become astounded to such a degree as to nearly lose one's mental capacity. They were out of their mind. And they were. Wouldn't you be out of your mind if this happened right before you? Uh, They could not hold it in. Now, this is funny to me. The storm obeyed Jesus. The demons obeyed Jesus. Creation obeys Jesus. Disease obeys him. And these people aren't. But I don't think it's sin. I don't think it, I think he's absolutely tickled, grinning ear to ear. Why would I say that? Because of what they say. Because of what comes out of them is amazing. What did they say? Catch the phrase there in verse 30, uh, 37. They were utterly astonished saying, he has done all things well. He speaks of making the deaf to hear and the mute speak. He's done all things well. This is what he wants the disciples to come to. But they haven't said this yet. But these Gentiles are saying it. Well means, to, to, it's a, he does all things appropriately, fitting. It, it would be the right way. You could use these words, literally. He does all things splendidly, beautifully, according to purpose. He has done. This is a present tense verb. I got I to gotta read this stuff, y'all. I don't get this stuff right away, trust me, on the, on the Greeks and tenses and stuff. But I'm, I'm going to study it, but I'm going to offer to you. I figure if I can get it to where I understand it, I think you can understand it. Watch this. Okay, a present tense verb. It's a completed action in the... It's a completed action. Something happened in the past. Completed action in the past. That, okay, though it's completed in the past, it produces a state in the present. So just exactly what happened here, it's, it's true in the presence, and it'll always be that way, you see. That's the present tense. Now, the, the, the focus is not so much on the past event as it is the present reality. Okay, now you got it? No, I wouldn't have it either after that. So let's, let's look at it in plain English. Okay, let's go here. When they say he has done all things well, here's where, the, here's where their minds would go based on the language. He does all things good. It is good. It is good. Where does that make you want to go back to in the Old Testament? All the way to creation. Because in creation, God spoke, right, the world into being. And it says he made the, 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 the sun. And he said, into the first day, and it is what? What's the word? It's good. And then he made the land. And he made all the vegetation. He said, it is what? And then he made this and that. And he said, it is what? 
good, good, good. I'm telling you, this is what it references to in their minds and even as ours as we speak here. But if we went forward, I would go forward and say, Paul roots his comments, even in Romans 8, 28, in this, for God causes all things to work together for, do you see that? And so they're here going, he does all things good. He, he has and he is and he always will. Well, the dog has barked and the mute has spoken. What do you hear? I'm going to give us an opportunity in a moment to respond. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond with your heart, people. That means not just thinking a thought, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond with your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond with your body. What do you mean your body? I'm going to give you a chance to stand up, to kneel down, to, do, to move your body in some way because I, I really do believe this. this please hear me. I'm going to overqualify this in a moment, but it's, faith's pretty active. I mean, there's movement. And I think oftentimes when we move our bodies, it's just a statement of, I do believe this. And it moves it from our head to, to, to our whole being. I mean, have you ever just had faith and not done anything? I think, I think faith engages our whole being at some level. Again, I'll talk about this in a moment. But I want to give an application first now that you're nervous and wondering what in the world he's going to have to do. There are so many uh, applications from the text. I'm going to give you just one to consider. Did you notice that the beneficiaries of these miracles didn't get them on their own? What did the little girl do? Tell me. What did, the, what did the deaf mute man do to get his miracle? You see that? And this is amazing. In other words, they were brought to Jesus by someone else. Are you in relationship with someone or some others such that when you are unable to get to Jesus, they would unashamedly pick you up and take you to the throne of grace. Do you, do you have that? Is it, is it there? I mean, it's, it's sure. I mean, we don't even know who those people are, but that man was never the same. They loved him, they cared about him, they brought him to Jesus. The, of course, a mother's heart we get. Our, we have a, our, our fellowship group, small group, that I'm in meets on Monday nights. And, um, Two Monday nights ago, we, uh, we were meeting at our house, and um, uh, my son's been home for the holidays. You know, my, my son's 21, Darden, and uh, he's, uh, get, he's, he's actually now in Spain on a study abroad. But I asked him to come down and share with our group just kind of how he's doing, and we we're going to pray over him. Now, there are two couples in our group that have older kids, Lisa and I and David and Michelle Arms. And we've done over the two years we've been together, we've brought our older kids to speak to the other, other parents because they all have younger kids. And so it's their chance to see, here's how you screw a kid up. They can tell you everything they do. And we just let them talk to them, man. And, they just, and, and, and the other parents are like, oh my gosh, did you just say that? And uh, so it's not new to our group that we would do this. And they know my son's story, struggle, spiritually, everything. And so Darden's talking to the group. And at one point, the group begins to respond to Darden and just saying, Darden, we really believe in you and God's going to do amazing things and you're going to have an opportunity to do this. And Darden stopped this. And he said, y'all, can, can I say this? He said, 
it's really hard for me to receive what you're saying right now because my heart is really hard. And we all didn't blink. And we went, okay. Now, I, I respect his awareness of, of what's going on in his, in his heart and soul. He says, it's just hard. And, 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 and he said, it's hard for me to receive the nice things you're saying. And we said, that's fine, darling. We talked a little bit more, you know, and then we put him in the middle of the room and we put our hands on him. We said, we're going to pray for you. And I'm going to tell you something. Of course, Lisa and I are praying and I've got my hand on the back of his neck. And then two of the moms prayed for him. Now, they prayed for him, like, like intense, with tears, prayed for my son, for Lisa and I. Now, let me ask you this. How much is that worth to me and Lisa? There's no price on that. That's just privilege of walking in community with others, that God would gift, gift us in that way, that they would pray over our, our son. Do you have that? Can you get that? Yeah, we can. Let's put the shoe on the other foot. Who in your life are you taking by the hand and going, I know you don't want to, I know you can't, but I got it. I'm bringing you to the throne of grace. Who do you have in your life that you're, you're going to like that? Y'all, it is one of the greatest privileges, can we agree with this, of following the servant king that God would use us in such a way in the lives of others. Okay, let's respond with our hearts, mind, will, emotions, even with our bodies, if, if you feel so led. Luke, if you'd come back out and the team's gonna sing over us, we've built the time in to do this. There's no rush. Um, I'm gonna explain what we're gonna do. If you wanna do something, do nothing, it's totally okay. Let me, let me, let me just set your hearts at ease. You know, we have kneelers up here that if you feel, this is, this is just if the Lord so leads. It's nothing crazy about this. But if you feel the sense to which, you know what, I need to go up here and kneel down, then come up and kneel down. If you want to sit right where you are, just sit right where you are. You don't have to do anything for God to change you, to grow you, but talk to God. Um, you may feel like God would just have you stand. In other words, you don't want to walk through that whole aisle of people. And so you go, I don't really want to do that. But you just might want to stand. And that's, a, that's good. What if you just stood up? Just put your body here and just stood as, Lord, I, I need you. I, I want to hear you. What, whatever it may be. How about this? Someone comes up to pray. You, don't need, you didn't feel the need to come up and pray, but you know them. And so you just follow them up so you can put a hand on them. Is that okay? You tell me. It's totally okay. Um, what if someone stands near you and you don't know them and all you know is the back of their head because that's all you've seen for three months? But what if you reached out and touched a shoulder and then they turn around and go, holy moly, who's that touch? But what if you thought about it more in the, the life of the body and if you, we know Christ and spirit lives in us and such that that hand on your shoulder is just, it's just the spirit of God saying, I'm with you, man. I don't, I don't know you, but you're standing for something. What if you just put a hand on someone in that way? And this, is, this could freak somebody, some of you out in a way, you know, just, just going by the text. What if, and you don't, don't have to do this. What if, what if you know you've got to have a tough conversation? What if you just touched your mouth? What if you know you need to hear God and you just, you just put your hands on your ears, just, just going, Lord, I want to hear you. I want to hear you. We'll hand in your heart, what, whatever you may want to do. What if you did what Jesus did and you just sat there and you just lifted your head? 
Do you know Jesus lifting his head was a demonstration that he doesn't do anything unless the Father tells him, and he could no more heal that man unless the Father said it. His dependence on his Father was physically revealed, you see, and he lifted his head and he sighed. You may just lift your head. What, you, may, you may, you know, in Matthew's account, she says, Lord, have mercy on me. There's a wonderful prayer. In our account, she says, Lord, help me. How about that for a very astute biblical prayer? How about what J.J. said earlier? Open my ears, open my eyes. So with that, let's respond, can we? God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond in these moments as Luke sings over us and gives us words even to put in our own mouths.